Welcome to the OmniTalk Fast Five, sponsored by Takeoff and the AM Consumer and Retail Group. Today is March 11th, 2021. I am your host, Chris Walton, and I am joined, as always, by Anne. Chris, damn it, just tell me if it's a button or a link. I don't care. Mazinga and Emma, I'm ready to not be an intern. The intern. <laughs> How are you doing today? Can you believe it's been a year? Today is the official start of everything for the coronavirus. You know, March 11th, pandemic was announced by the WHO. Tom Hanks came down with this thing. The NBA canceled their season. Holy cow, I couldn't believe that when I read that a year ago. Where's your it's crazy. At? It's just amazing, nuts, right? isn't it? I, I think it's just a, like I want to give a quick shout out to the listeners in retail because totally. this year has been exceptionally challenging with managing life, being in lockdown and then, you know, managing the stores that everybody has been so dependent on that have just been chaos for the year. But, you know, we made it through a year and I, I want to say pat yourselves on the back. Give yourselves the extra chocolate croissant listeners because you've had a hell of a year. That's what I wanted to say too. I just want to say big thanks to all the OmniTalk fans. Like it's been, you guys have gotten, I know you've gotten Anne and I and Emma, the intern through all of this. Like it's just been, it's been a crazy year, but it's also been, it's just it, in a lot of ways, it's, it's been still a great year and it's been a ton of fun and we've enjoyed bringing you the news, you know, as much as we can each and every week and really trying to hit on some of the things that matter, you know, like during this pandemic, like some of the things I can take back to some of the things like making sure like Walmart, trying to help senior citizens shop and trying to do what we can around SNAP benefits and making those available online by some of the writing. And, you know, to see the writing last year, 3 million people, you know, reading our stuff in Forbes. I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive. And, and for everyone out there, it's a total team effort to make this happen every week too. So thank you so much. And to be recognized, Chris, you, uh, you're like getting oh, a, a, a chalk star on the third house, like wa- walk of fame back here with your uh, retail <laughs> influencer, top 100 rethink retail uh nominate nomination no you actually won right like this isn't a nomination process yeah so what Anne's talking about for all those listening some people probably the loyal fans have probably seen this on social media but yes um was named one of the the top 100 retail influencers yesterday not as an expert either but as a media group which i think is a testament to again all of us here and everyone that works at OmniTalk that makes this thing you know uh it, what it is every single day so yeah that was cool very thankful to them ricardo belmar he's a huge fan of the show he does a lot of work uh with them as well so it was really cool to see and it was a really great company to be in too so we've come a long way my friend and over these last four years but and i gotta ask you something too before we get started because you brought up yeah. something last week on the podcast that i think is really important and that was the concept of revenge spending. And yes. our friends, so we have, you know, lots of people listen to the show and our friends at Nielsen IQ actually sent me some really cool info that I'm just going to say may or may not back up your point. So All right. for the audience, before we get to the headlines, what, what was revenge spending and what, like, what was your point that you were trying to make? So revenge spending, I'm nervous about this, but you I love be. the I love the listener feedback. So bring it on. This Don't ever great. stop, you guys. Keep it up. Um, so revenge spending is this idea that the haves in this K-shaped uh, recovery are going to be spending a ridiculous amount of money that they couldn't spend while we were in lockdown. And that's like, you know, people are talking about it all over the place. It makes me sick. I hate thinking about it. And why does it make you sick real quick? Like, what's your big issue with it? 
Because I think that it's not focusing on the real issues that our economy and that the retail industry is going to face. And I really don't think that it's going to affect the big box stores. I think these this revenge spending is going to happen more in travel and experiences. And sure, there's some ties and to retail the rich, there. Right? And for the wealthy population of right. the country, not the 85% of people that uh, will be getting stimulus checks again. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Total, hundred percent. Yeah, no. And but it, bring I mean, it on. We were, what, we were on what Clubhouse again, to... last, yeah, two days ago, and it came on again. Emma, wh- which way do you think this data is going to go? Before I tell you, do you think it's going to go in favor of Ann, or do you think it's going to go against Ann? Where's your head at this one? I have no idea. I hope it goes in favor with Ann, but like, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's funny too, because you're like, what is Chris going to do here? No. Yeah. So Ann, based on the data that Nielsen IQ sent me there's a good chance that your ideas might be right here or your thoughts here, because I'll tell you what they sent me. So basically what Nielsen has been doing is they looked at the American population and they've broken it essentially into four different cohorts. So what they've looked at is they say there's a population of, of generally speaking, constrained consumers. And that's really twofold. It's consumers that were ex- already constrained, i.e. existing constrained is how they classify them. That's 17% of the population. However, then there's a population called newly constrained, and that's about 46% of the population. So keep in mind, together, that's 63% of the population, according to Nielsen IQ, that are quote-unquote constrained. The remaining part of the population, 27%, is what they call is part of this insulated group. So there's two parts there. 27% are cautious but insulated economically. And then you have 9%, which is probably who's doing most of this talking, which is the unrestricted and very insulated group. Now, what's fascinating to me about this is as they sent me this email and I clicked into it even more, the newly constrained group, that specifically, again, 43% of the population, almost half the country, 79% of that group has faced some employment reduction over the past year, which is crazy to me. And then here's the other thing, 90% of that population says that they're in a worse financial situation than they were a year ago. So, Anne, I think there's something to what you're saying. I'm not saying it, I don't think this necessarily proves anything one way or the other, but there's something to this. What are your thoughts? I'm glad that they sent that because I think that's really, that's like hard data that gives us a much better picture of, I think, what is actually going on, not what's making headlines, but what's actually going on in the country. And I think that's a good lead into the stories for today too, Chris. I mean, there's a lot that that's happening in the space that will really impact, you know, what kind of traffic and what kind of customers um, retailers can expect to see in this like post-pandemic world. Yeah, I, I think what it says too, and then we'll get to the headlines, is like, this is why we do what we do. We don't just believe the soundbite or whatever the kind of media through line is. What this tells me is that what's going to happen post-pandemic is going to hit different parts of the country different, and it's going to hit different segments of retail differently. And so to just to throw everything in as a casual pundit and say, hey, revenge spending is going to solve everything. It's going to be great for everybody. It, it, it just probably won't be. And so let's be really thoughtful about what that means. But yeah, to your point, I thought this was a really, really tough week to pick the headlines. Like here, guys, are the things that didn't make the list. Amazon has a new secret robot that 800 people are reportedly working on called Vesta. Now we have no confirmation on whether or not this looks like the robot from Rocky Four that Polly bought Rocky, but we are working on that. So stay tuned. And we also, there was also a bunch of other stuff that didn't even make the list too. I'm trying to think of some of it, but I can't even think of it right now. So we are just instead going to focus on Costco and curbside. 
Bed Bath & Beyond's private label announcements. There's been a lot of heat on that on social media. Something really interesting, a new store concept, but it's actually more like a video game concept called Dress that Emma's going to talk, Emma and Anne are going to talk about. And then we're going to close with the discussion on Disney's recent plans to close quite a few stores. But first, we start with some really scary news out of Canada, especially if you're Scooby-Doo. That was good, Anne, because it has to do with Ghosts. We do our own sound effects too. It's, it's great. That is awesome. But it has to do with ghosts. And believe it or not, Walmart Canada now believes in ghosts. And I'm talking of the kitchen kind. And this headline specifically goes out to all our friends in Canada. Gary, Carl, we know where you're listening. But according to Chain Store Age, Walmart Canada is partnering with scalable with a scalable ghost kitchen platform called Ghost Kitchen Brands. According to them, quote, to offer one-stop meal pickup and delivery at a store in St. Catharines, Ontario. And the retailer plans to open more ghost kitchens at two Ontario stores and two Quebec stores in the coming months, end quote. The article also goes on to say, excuse me, that customers, that quote, customers can order freshly prepared meals in store and online for contactless pickup or delivery from a third-party app such as Uber Eats. And also, I thought this part was really cool. Mix and match more than 20 brands, including Quiznos, The Cheesecake Factory, Red Bull, Nescafe, and my personal favorite, Ben and Jerry's, the makers of Chunky Monkey. That last part was not part of the quote. And you and I, I mean, my God, I have loved this idea for four, actually, it's probably six years. Are you loving this? You know what? I, this has been like dabbling on the edges of the fast five list when a lot of companies have been doing this over the course of the last couple of years. But I think this is huge news now that Walmart is starting to explore this. Yes. And it's a one-stop shop. And it's a one-stop shop. Uh, I think as we look at this post-pandemic world of what is going to get people to the store and really satisfying this like hybrid grocery concept, being able to service customers on all you know ends of the spectrum, this kind of thing is just a killer way to do that. In the last couple of days at Grocery Shop, I can't tell you how many people have been talking to me about this concept of Grocerant. Um, I talked to Justin Hill yesterday at MG2, a design firm that specializes in like what the grocery experience is going to be like. And he said, this is like a huge part of what grocers are banking on is these unique food concepts, especially when, you know, somebody from Canada is going to have to weigh in on the the partners that they're bringing into this particular one. But um, I think when you start to incorporate more local businesses, local restaurant concepts, and those are constantly changing in and out, it's giving people a reason to go to your store over another store and to keep coming back. So I love the freshness of this. I think there's so much to offer here. I'm really, really excited about it. And to remind the listeners that might not be familiar with, you know, the idea of a ghost kitchen, but essentially the idea is you provide the infrastructure so that basically anyone, but especially like small entrepreneurs, local entrepreneurs or local restaurateurs can come in, use that equipment and really efficiently get started and do something that's really unique in the marketplace. The cool thing here is you've also got the entire Walmart grocery store potentially, you know, at their disposal as well. From an ingredient standpoint and all that, in addition to the Walmart customer base. There's a lot more angles to that too. But Emma, what do you think here? Do you like this? Or I'm about to super geek on this. I'm just gonna set that up. But like, are you are you buying this too, Emma? What do you think? I think this is awesome. You I would definitely okay, cool. oh yeah, I would definitely be going to Walmart for like everything if that were to open up here. You would you would that okay, yeah. why? 
Because then you're like combining the like freshly prepared food and grocery and almost any other thing you could possibly ever need. And in like in times like these, I like the one stop shop. I want to be in and out and get absolutely everything. And Walmart is just playing up that game. Yeah, 100%. I can remember Ann and I are walking down New York City and we come across, <laughs> what is it, Ann? City Kitchen. And I'm like, oh my God, you take what's in a, in a super center, there, and there's many of them throughout the country, and you take that concept and you port it in to a one-stop shop super center, and all of a sudden you have local food that is really interesting to different people. Then you take the idea of the ghost kitchen concept and you make it easy for them to come in and do that. You supply the ingredients. You take something like Walmart with Walmart Plus. You can now connect that to the app. And now you've got delivery and that infrastructure built all around this. This is a very sticky idea. It keeps people coming back to you both online for delivery, but also more importantly, it solves the why in terms of why am I coming to that place? Because I can get a cool, fun meal that I haven't had before that's different and unique and affordable. And I can do all my shopping at the same time if I want to. This is a cool idea. And not surprisingly, they're doing it in Canada because that's where Walmart tests everything. And any last words? Yeah, I, I think the only thing I call out, it's not about why you're coming to a physical space, but it's why you're going to the digital and physical properties of that retailer. channel, 100%. Yes. Right. Great point. Yeah, I was trying to say that, but yes, thank you for clarifying that, 100%. All right, let's keep moving. Okay, I'll guys. Big shocker here. Costco's curbside pilot in New Mexico is going really well. Who, who knew? Probably who knew? Those, who thought that probably, would happen? Probably the innovation team at Costco. Another shout out to you guys. Way <laughs> to keep pushing that water uphill. You're doing a great job. Um, so according to USA Today, they've said that they are now considering rolling this out to additional locations. They're debating whether or not they should. And the answer is obviously, yes, Costco. Move it along. Pick up the pace. People need more Kirkland Signature products at the curb, uh, mostly because of this next update, which uh, said that according to Aptopia, Sam's Club is hot on the heels of uh, Costco here. Sam's Club has won against Costco and BJ's in the digital landscape. The Sam's Club app was downloaded 9.6 million times, nearly double the amount that the Costco app was downloaded. And traditionally, Costco's like the big leader here with Sam's Club as the runner-up spot, but this is not going to happen. We know those Sam's Club people are sharp as whips and their uh, leadership teams are ready to roll this stuff out. I am so excited to see them finally get Sam's Club being them, finally getting recognized for all the work that they have been putting in the last couple of years. Um, And man, Costco, you got to take a look because they are coming up behind you. I, what do you, I, yeah. yeah, I don't Chris. get this story. I no, I'm with you. I don't get this story. Like, I, I, I mean, like, and normally I don't look at app downloads as a statistic, but I think in this case, it's actually pretty telling like double the amount of app downloads. When you start talking about omni-channel services, like you were just describing and very well in that last segment, this is an important piece. Like how far up there, you know, what's is Costco's leadership on this. I mean, like the San, like Richard Galante, the CFO says in a news release, the pilot's going well, or quote, the pilot's going well. Our members have responded to it and basket sizes have actually surpassed our expectations, end quote. Really? Really? <laughs> we told you that would happen on OmniTalk. I told, wrote that article in Forbes back in September. And here you are six months later and you're only in New Mexico. 
Oh, and by the way, there's a $10 fee for this program. And you have to use Insta, you have to partner with Instacart to do it. Whereas to your point, and Sam's Club can roll this crap out in six weeks to all of their stores for and free. get a personalized experience for free. For free. And get a personalized experience by way of scan and go capabilities in their app. I mean, seriously, Costco, don't let I'm gonna be freaking blunt here. Don't let the don't let the digital transformation hit your ass on the way out because this is ridiculous. Like, how slow can you be on this, Emma? You're laughing. Am I right? Am I crazy? Yes. When I read these headlines, I'm so glad. Like Sam's Club has just been, I, in my opinion, winning this for so long. And when I read the Costco headline, I was like, well, duh, it's working. Like, come on. Well, and then I think too, like, now I didn't even think about this before, but now when you said that, like, then you think too about like what I wrote about, you know, like just, I was kind of, you know, hypothesizing in terms of like where could Target go with some of their new, you know, fulfillment capabilities where you start to say, well, what if I don't even go into a warehouse style club experience at all? And it's only made for pickup. And, you know, that's also the warehouse that's running my Target and my Walmart, you know, distribution hub as well in certain parts of the country. Like Costco, wake the hell up here, man. Like it feels like it, I know your business model is incredibly strong and I'm not saying it's not, but like, you know, keep an eye on how something could disrupt you. Like, I mean, these types of statements just make me really skeptical of everything that's going on there. All right, Anne, anything else? No, that was I an all-timer. I, I don't that. know what I could add there. That was possibly. great. Don't let it hit you on the way out. No. All right, number three, let's talk Bed Bath & Beyond. I got words. a lot of thoughts on this one too. <laughs> All right. So Bed Bath & Beyond is launching eight new in-house brands this year with the goal of cutting down costs and capturing a larger portion of the $180 billion home goods market, according to Fox Business. So I don't think that this is a bad idea. and It's definitely expected with Mark Tritton, but I don't think this is going to be any kind of solution to Bed Bath & Beyond's bigger problems. There's still a major issue with actually getting people into the store to discover these brands. And I read a bunch of these opinion pieces where they're comparing this to like Target and Kroger's own brands, but there are so many more practical reasons for a consumer to go into a Target or Kroger to discover owned brands. And the only way I see this working is if they partner with some kind of like celebrity who promotes the crap out of one of these brands that can therefore inspire people to maybe go to Bed Bath & Beyond or its website. Right. And that's expensive too. And that's kind of, I mean, that's basically essentially how Target's been trying to command a little more margin over the years too. But you're right. It sits in the in, you know, intersection of a lot of different things going on inside a Target store. And what do you think? You know, I'm, I think uh, this is just a testament to all those internal creative teams at Target and Bed Bath and & Beyond and all these places where it's like you slap some new packaging on and suddenly you got another billion dollar brand on your hands. Right. Like, I mean, it, it works. There's opportunity there for sure. I mean, I think that the point that that we have to make is that what are your other options in the space right now? Where else are you going for this product? Macy's, I don't think that's even in Gen Z's consideration set. So if you really can build yeah. this new spot for, you know, wedding registry and and making it be like Emma said, a place that you have another reason to go to, maybe, but I just I don't know if the if the own brands case can work in a Bed Bath and Beyond. There's there's so many more reasons or opportunities, and and I guess I would even I would even push that a little bit further. Like, is Target's billion dollar brand really because it's a new brand and it's creating all these offerings, or is it because I can get a cheaper version of coconut milk from Good and Gather than I can from the you know the major label? And I happen to be able to be picking up 10 other things at Target while I'm there. I, I don't know. Some of this stuff just no. smells a little 
I think that's a really good point. Now, here's what I would say. Like, could this work? Yeah, it might work. Like, you could have, like, a Mickey Drexler, Merchant Prince, Prince type situation here where he just has, where sure. he comes in and has some type of vision and people get hooked by it and it brings people in. That could work. I think it's, I think that's really hard. And we haven't seen that a lot lately because retail is very different and the digital component of that's very different. And even if you do that well, I think to both your points, you're still buying that stuff online over time. It doesn't necessarily mean you're coming into the store. So you haven't solved that problem. And Mickey Drexler himself even admitted he missed that when he was at J. Crew, And that was part of the big problem that they had as well. And the point you're bringing up about brands at Target and Emma, too, I think it's really interesting too. I want to set some context here too. I said in the beginning, don't believe everything you read. Target talks about billion dollar brands all the time, but I'm, I just want to make sure people understand that. Like let's some of the ones that they brought in. Cat and Jack. Well, yes, that's a billion dollar brand, but it was a refashion of Circo, which was probably also, I don't know this for a fact, because I don't know the exact numbers. And even if I did, I wouldn't share them, but that was also a pretty darn big brand. Okay. Let's look at the new all in motion. Well, that replaced C9 by champion, good and gather replaced market pantry. Like you can go on and on with this. And it's just a lot of media spin in terms of, you know, how they're positioning things. But the more important point is it's still all within the context of a one-stop shop. Right? That's why you're going to Target. It's all those elements together and you're shopping for great value you know, while you're there and you're engaged in that Target experience. That's something very different, very different than Bed Bath & Beyond. Read if you haven't the Target earnings report because Michael Fidelki actually addresses this where, and I think there are some open questions. I talked about it last week. Is it the strategic asset or is it the actual strategy themselves, i.e. private label brands, many of the other things they've done? Bed Bath & Beyond has the same potential issues here. They have to be thinking through this. So I think this is a really hard thing. I hope, hope, because I know there's a lot of people from Bed Bath & Beyond that listen. And we've actually been long on the potential of Bed Bath & Beyond for a while. I mean, that was some of the first things we wrote way back in the day, given all that they had under the stable. I hope there's more to this than what is currently being reported, because this is all that's been there. And we've all seen this coming, right? And I mean, yeah, we knew this was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it It really, for me, it begs the question of whether that concept that they did in Brooklyn with all the brands under one roof is, yeah, was a little before it's, too. right, yeah. was, was a little before it's time. But I think, like you say often, Chris, if you think about the overall product of the Bed Bath & Beyond experience, not the products on the shelves here, and what that could be and how that could maybe become a one-stop shop, I do think there's opportunity. It's just, will they seize it in the right way? Yeah, and we've talked about Kohl's potentially trying to do that. I've always thought Bed Bath & Beyond, given what they had under their stable, had a better chance. And also they had a more premium position because right. they could get brands and cachet that Kohl's, Target, and and Walmart especially could never get. And so I've not understood like, like why Lake they Crusade. haven't gone in that direction. <laughs> yeah, like my Lake Crusade story, a hundred percent. I know. I'm telling Sugar, you. I am not putting my Lake Crusade on your shelves. No, no, no. no. All, right. All right. Moving on to our next story. Um, so dressed, as Chris teased earlier. Dressed is a mobile fashion styling game that was created by former fashion editor Lucy Yemens. They were recently named one of Fast Company's most innovative companies. Now, this is not something we typically highlight uh, making a top uh, 100 list um, on the podcast, but we're doing it twice in one day today. And um, it deserves special note because while this was created by a fashion editor, it's a, a shopping game. It was nominated as one of the most innovative gaming companies, not retail apps or anything. So let me break down for you quickly how Dressed works. So players 
uh, you download the app, you get a budget, a challenge, and then it opens the door to like this virtual fashion closet where you can mix and match on a model real pieces from, um, you know, high fashion brands like Gucci, Prada, Chloe and Stella McCartney. So players create their own like photo shoots. They can also then once they've created this outfit, purchase um, additional virtual spending money with real dollars, or they can click a link to the Farfetch marketplace to purchase the real pieces by, for themselves. So dressed, I haven't is also part of our AM put us on the spot question. So Chris oh and Emma. This is where the AM put it on the spot this, question is. Yeah, oh, wow. sneaky, huh? You weren't this expecting one. it. Yeah, no, I forget. Yeah, no, this is like, ooh, okay. okay. Emma, so you can now, take this one. Yeah. <laughs> so now that now that you understand what dressed is, this is the question. So dressed is getting a lot of hype for bringing discovery, shopping, and entertainment in a virtual world, traditionally where a place that customers have spearfished and bought what they were looking for versus being introduced to something that they might desire or want. I'd like you to compare and contrast this to the real world live streaming opportunity on TikTok or beyond. That's the first part of the question. Second part, is this really different than live streaming? Does Dressed solve a customer pain point that live streaming is not by really bringing discovery, entertainment, and shopping together? And three-parter. Anum's really bringing it, Emma. So I hope you're taking notes. <laughs> what is the impact this will have on physical retail? Oh my God. How, oh my, Emma, please go first. Please. <laughs> you, oh might my need God. A, you might need a kombucha. This, this that's one. a big enchilada on this one. Wow. And okay. I could write like a dissertation on that. But Do it. Let's go. go. So there's, I think there's a big difference between watching a live stream on any social platform because that's an act of consuming shopping content and inspiration. Whereas when you're in the gaming force, format, you're more so creating the content you want to see and then can find inspiration from. They're just two very different ways to discover and immerse yourself within a brand or a product. And which one is more effective in terms of solving customer pain points really just depends on your preferences of how you want to consume content. So I played around with the Dress app for like an hour and I've never been a gaming person. So this, it really did nothing for me. I wasn't interested in styling a model or anything. I would much prefer the hunt of scrolling through product listings or watching a live stream to learn more about a brand or a product that I'm interested in. So I think it really just comes down to if you prefer the format of gaming where you're trying to like win a challenge and therefore can find some products, this is for you. But it's just different from live streaming, you know? Yeah, that. OK, good. Glad you went first. Um, God, <laughs> I, I had some time to think about this one as you were talking. I mean, I, I, I actually think I agree with everything Emma just said. I think the other interesting thing here, though, is that it's also about a new asset category. Like, that's what I think we're getting. There's been all the all the talk of late of like the NFTs, you know, what is it? it and you always help me with this. The non-fungible non tokens. Non-fungible tokens, right? Which yes. are essentially digital assets. I think what you that's what you start to get into here over the long run is that it's not, it's not, it's the questions almost become, you know, I don't want to say irrelevant, but they almost become really contextually different because it's not about digital retail. It's not about physical retail. It's actually about the procurement or buying of something else entirely. And I think there's a ton of space for that. So like, you know, why do great designers only have to create physical product? Couldn't they create great digital products? Or, you know, couldn't you even start to sell the patterns by which some of those fabulous dresses, as an example, are made from? Like you start to get into really interesting realms here that is all new business 
And if retailers and designers and influencers can think about that in the right way, there could be a big untapped gold mine here. And yeah, I, you know, this is way too cool for me. This like the, close, cool. the closest analog cool I have for, for this was like the fashion plates game that I did love in the eighties where you swapped the out the that? different. Oh my gosh. You oh got, God. you got to like make outfits and then you had to scribble with a pencil on top of the fashion plate to like make the outfits. Oh yeah. It. I remember that. It was, I was too amazing. Busy playing hungry hippo. Sure. Fair, fair enough. But I, Chris, I think you're right. I mean, I think there's definitely an audience for this. I look at the way that, you know, the, the gen beta consumes media and like they're buying skins for their Fortnite people and they're paying like $25, $30 for that kind of thing. And so I think one, it's a, it's a really cool way for, um, that generation to start engaging with these brands in an aspirational sense. It exposes them to the brands. They can then maybe get the Prada bag when they're in their twenties or something, because they know and are familiar with these brands. It's a way for these luxury brands to connect with the younger consumer earlier on. And yes, maybe they're buying like a $20 pair of pants that they're going to put on their models, but then down the road, you know, who knows, they might want to buy that pair of pants in real life for the nostalgia of it all. I just, I think there's some real opportunity. If people are paying $200,000 for a digital clip of LeBron doing a dunk, man, right. anything's possible. Yeah, I agree. Like when I think about like the, like Missoni, when, you know, t- from my experience, like when Missoni was dropped to Target and that thing sold out in stores in like two hours or like when Lily Pulitzer crashed the site, why isn't there a digital asset version of that? Or like the Nike shoe drops, which you've talked about on the show, why isn't there a digital asset version of that that's complementary in some way and just only extends your your reach, your cachet and your coolness? Like I think yeah. I, it totally makes sense to me. Speaking of that, all right, let's do finish this up here. I like the piece of the show today. This is good. All right, Disney. This was the this was a big one on Clubhouse. I got I got in a little bit of scrapes on Clubhouse with this one this week too. So it's good to talk about. Emma didn't want to talk about this, so I want to find out why. But Disney this week, as of the twenty third, uh, or I'm sorry, as of the twenty third of March, is going to be they announced this week again or said again this week that as of the twenty third of March, they're going to start to shut down at least twenty percent of their store base. I look at the list of closing stores too. I got to tell you, it's actually, it's about by my account, give or take 35 stores strong. And it's some good stores. We're talking like stores in like Santa Monica, State Street, Chicago. Now, Disney says the move is about shifting to e-commerce. I'm curious what you think. A lot of people on Clubhouse were like, Disney should be ashamed. Like there's no way they, they should be able to do something better with their stores. This is a travesty. Come on, you can do better. Emma, like I said, you didn't even want to talk about this. What's your take here, Emma? What do you think? I didn't want to talk about it because I just like don't care. But <laughs> why not? Um, <laughs> I'm so like far removed from Disney. I mean, I watched the movies when I was a kid. And like Disney Plus, I like the Mandalorian's the only like the only thing that got me to buy that. And I just I don't see unless they come up with some crazy like experiential concept in the store, which I know we all hate that term, but like, of course they're moving to e-commerce. What do they need these stores for? You know, I I think you put it great there. Like, I love that. You're like, yeah. Like, what are you going to do with these? Like they've been trying it forever. Like, it's not like they haven't tried to bring a lot of talent in to make these things good. And what do you think? You know, the, 
what this reminded me of was our Godiva conversation. Right. Why do you need a 365 Disney store in the mall or on State Street or in Santa Monica right. Place? Whatever. You do not, especially with 100 million Disney Plus subscribers. There Good are point. key opportunities for you to do stores. And that's probably around like doing exclusives for your Disney plus members where they get to do an event. Like that's when I think a use case for an experience with a shopping experience layered in makes sense. And those are not 365. It's, it's holidays. It's key launches of things on, you know, Disney plus there's just there's no room for this. This is a total waste of resources. They should just put everything towards Disney Plus and um, and the extensions of that. Yeah, I love that. You're right. It doesn't have to be year round. It doesn't have to be in a mall. It can be thought of in different ways. And like we've said, experiences are really hard to scale. Like we've always said that. Everyone has said that. So to just say, well, why can't they do that? I mean, no. Tell me who does that. Like on the degree of which you're imagining in your head, it's pretty pretty freaking hard. And yeah, you could just do that wherever you want in the right places very surgically. And then, yeah, you have 100 million subscribers now on Disney Plus in like, what is it, like a year? Yeah, It's insane. Crazy. And you start talking about social commerce, how that hasn't even been a part of that. You start talking about shoe drops, digital assets around the Mandalorian, every other Disney property that's out there. Yeah, I'd be focusing all of my attention on that. Why wouldn't I? Why would I go be trying to refashion some old store in like North Park, Texas, whatever the hell that is, where I can't remember the other one that the name of that North Star, I think is what the mall was where they're closing it down. Apologize to anyone down in Texas. I know it's been definitely a rough few weeks down there too. So, but like, yeah, why wouldn't I do this? Like, I just, I, I, good, good for Disney is what I have to say. Good for Disney, bad for Smart. Costco. Smart move crap together. All right, that wraps us up. Happy birthday today to Johnny Knoxville, Thora Birch, and the maestro from Seinfeld, Mark Metcalf. And remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it on me talk. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the top week's top news. And our twice weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us and just for you. And it fits all within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at www.omnitalk.blog. Blog, not blog, <laughs> blog. Blog would be cool. So it's actually our biggest subscription week on record, you two. I wanted to let everyone know that. So wow. thanks again to the huge fans. Thanks as always for listening in. Please remember to like or leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. And of course, as always, be careful out there. OmniTalk Fast Five podcast is brought to you by the AM Consumer and Retail Group. AM Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities towards their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, you can visit takeoff.com. 